I think it's just like, I don't know. I think I'm prone to feeling like I'm in existential crisis. going i'm your host anthony tino and this is into the paint podcast a feelings podcast full stop there are days when i will zoom out from my daily life and take a small inventory of the things i've made in the past how one interest led to another and i try to piece it together how my childhood obsessions led to my teenage ones how my teenage ones led to my early 20s and my early days making art and some days i struggle to make sense of it all I've considered myself a printmaker with a capital P. I spent my formative years tinkering with instruments and playing noise. Not many people know this, but I was actually quite good at martial arts for quite a while. I still call myself a curator, even though I know in my heart of hearts I am an arts administrator at best. In moments of the most powerful self-doubt, I feel like I don't have much to show for all of this, and that I've mastered almost nothing but have done a lot of things. I envy those who have comfortably worked at one craft to perfect it, whose specialist knowledge knows no bounds and may even get to enjoy being paid well for those things. People who have lived in one apartment for long enough to question how the logistics of a move would even be possible. Those who don't decide at 34 to start a podcast having zero background in broadcasting or anything even adjacent to it. This rambling is not to put anyone down, anyone who's dedicated themselves to their craft, as I mentioned, I'm envious of. But on my better days, I find it in myself to take pride in the fact that I've almost purely been motivated by curiosity alone my entire life. That somehow my willingness to jump into an unknown has allowed me to produce works, formats, platforms that might have been considered meaningful when you consider their essence of sincerity and curiosity. For as long as I can remember, I ditched idolizing the artists and musicians, revered for extreme technical abilities for those who we celebrate for the contribution of heart. All the musicians who claim they weren't actually musicians, the doctors and scientists turned artists, the art school graduate turned anthropologist. My guest this week is Alex Lambert, and I first encountered Alex's work while I was flipping through the 1993 Venice Biennale catalog, which I found on the third floor of the Goldsmiths University Library in New Cross, London. This was two years ago when I was doing my master's, and I probably should have been reading something else, but an image caught my eye. It was a black and white film still of a woman in a wedding dress and a hood hammering a speed bag in a boxing gym. This was from Alex's film No Holes Barred, 
which was included in the Aperto exhibition of the Biennale that year. The feminist punk rockness of the image led me to post this to my Instagram simply with the hashtag Alex Lambert. I'm not even sure Alex was on Instagram at the time, but a couple of months later, I got a notification that Alex had liked the photo. We started messaging. I asked her where I could see the film. She said she might have had a tape somewhere. She got it digitized. She sent me the file. And I started diving into her work to uncover this multi-dimensional artist who had worked across media, started fake bands and made documentaries about them, cross-dressed as a middle-aged balding man, married four people in the span of six months and documented it, traveled to Russia to interview prisoners about the culture of tattoos, and writes for film and TV. And it all had a clear thread, if not multiple thematic overlaps, throughout all the work. And Alex and I have spoken extensively about how she sometimes struggles with the people who don't see those clear thematic overlaps, even though she's working in vastly different media. Alex had done the impossible. She'd thrown herself literally into her obscure interest and managed to make a successful career out of it. Again, also completely driven by intense curiosity. Alex is in many ways exactly the artist I kind of wish I could be. I had the pleasure of working with Alex in 2022 when I revived some of the wedding series works and No Holes Barred for a two-person show with the Italian performer and actress Ambrosia. This is at the Others Art Fair in Torino that year. Since then, Alex has also directed a film called The Woods Are Real, written by Matt Delapina and Sean Christopher Lewis. She lives in Maryland, has shown with galleries including Perotan and many others which you would know. She teaches and is truly a fascinating artist. So actually this will be the first Zoom recorded interview on publishing on the podcast. In general, I've had some hesitations about conducting Zoom interviews, but you got to do what you got to do. And Alex and I caught up and spent a while talking about some works that we haven't spoken about before and her experiences as a filmmaker and director. We spent a little bit talking about The Woods Are Real and how she cut her teeth directing The Mark of Cain. And in that process, sweet-talking Russian prison wardens into letting her film within these high-security facilities by sharing some vodka with them and shooting guns in the woods. This may have been the third interview I conducted for the podcast, so we're going back a little while here. I think this was recorded in September of last year. It was super cute to have Alex be one of the first interviews, and I think my demeanor as an interviewer has improved substantially since then, but Alex is spot on, and I'm really happy to be sharing this now. Also, if you're a fan of the podcast, you follow us on Instagram, you've seen Alex's face in the wedding portraits on the walls of my studio behind my guests. I'll have to make it to Maryland with my gear at some point so we can catch up in person soon. So let's jump right into the paint with Alex Lambert.
last night when you were watching Stop Making Sense at the IMAX. Yes. I took a look <laughs> at The Woods Are Real. Oh, you and did? I watched that film. Um, and actually kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about like filmmaking, like your whole, um, yeah, like fil- like filmmaking and how that kind of plays into your creative process as well. I thought you did a great job directing. Thank you. Um, the Woods Are Real. So, yeah, tell me about that film and, and how you got involved with that. I mean, that was fun because it was um, because I was director for hire. So Matt, who um, stars in it, hmm. wrote it, co-wrote it, Sean, um, and co-produced it. So uh, I feel like it's a different I feel like my job is different than if I'm making something that, that I originated and conceived of and like, right. Um, so like I said, I was not raised religious, both Matt and Sean were, and um, yeah. that's very much in their script. And so I definitely, mm-hmm. the first question I, I mean, they only gave me like 24 hours to make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> but I did ask a few questions. Uh, you know, is uh, am I, are you sure you want me to for right. this? But I feel like um, I feel like then it's my job to like how can I most effectively tell this story? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. how you know? Uh, and I had worked with Matt before. Matt is uh, it was in one of my. Um, crime plays went to oh, keep this is matt della pina yeah, yeah okay cool yeah who's great in the film he's wonderful so, yeah. very talented um and is it so it premiered it was at the lower east side film festival um, and that has already happened that happened in may and then soon in october i'm gonna say 6th I think okay. I'll double check. It'll be uh, Tacoma Film Festival. Oh, great! Yeah, and um, yeah, I think a couple more, but I I don't think it's gonna sp- stay in festivals for too long because I'm pretty sure that they have found some kind of home for it. So. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, because that's an interesting process, like with um with independent films, right? Um, you know, you don't have the same kind of distribution that obviously like a big studio has. Um, And I was actually really impressed. Like the film feels, feels really professional and well-made, but then has these kind of like moments or sensibility that kind of pulls you back and you're like, oh yeah, like a bunch of artists made this. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) like it is, it is an art film, um, uh, you know, when it comes down to it. but you know that also then means then it got me thinking well this isn't going to just be in theaters everywhere or you know it might be in a couple theaters like in you know new york or wherever but what is you know what is the life of that movie look like after it does the festival circuit well i it's been interesting to me because i've really been learning um a lot uh, cause it's a genre film and I don't, I've never made a genre film before. Mm-hmm. And so there is a whole world that wants horror or horror adjacent. I'm not sure exactly where it fits in yeah. uh, horror or psychological thriller or, you know, I'm not exactly 
always sure how to categorize it, but it definitely falls within that umbrella of this world of uh, films that I didn't actually yeah. know about. I would I mean, call it like psychological. I mean, in terms of that side of it, like the, like, I don't, uh, in terms of what you do with it, if you've made one. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, yeah. So there's, so it's kind of, that's kind of fascinating to me. There's a huge audience for way bigger than anybody who's watching my documentaries about <laughs> teen suicide. <laughs> like, bigger know. than, than, yeah, people who are watching No Holes Barred. Maybe. As it turns out, yeah, um, yeah. So, so the film's really interesting. It's like, and and definitely, I I picked up on the kind of religious things. Obviously, there's ways that I feel like it, um, it relates to the rest of your work. Um, even even though I don't think of your work as religious, there's there's definitely this kind of like morality an ethics thing that I, to me actually resonated with the crime interviews and the Russian tattoos. Um, and it appealed I, to me that it was like a Brooklyn, it kind of is a Brooklyn story, a little bit of a Brooklyn story. <laughs> and actually, so another interesting thing about it is I was thinking about, so I don't know, like maybe I'll just like describe the plot real fast. It's the so, story of Job. So it, it, it's it's definitely Job. I was like, this is Job. But then there's also some Abraham in there too. Um, but we have um, a couple and their friends at a dinner party. And the couple kind of works in charity sector or, yeah, like is talking about, you know, uh, enabling city kids to go to camp in the woods during the summer. And then one of their friends is like, says something to them about, oh, you know, you think you're so good sending kids there. Like, you don't know what happens. Like, I went to this cabin and and had this experience and you should do it too. And they're just kind of like, okay. Um, I'm probably, I'm like, really. No, this is great. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm like, this is good. <laughs> it's so fresh in my mind. So they get there and then kind of have this like very trippy experience with the house and meet this. I, I don't want to give too much away, but kind of have this like horrific experience in the woods that is both kind of religious and it has to do with repenting and it has to do with, um, yeah, coming to terms with um, themselves as you know, one of them is is has inherited a watchmaking industry. One of them is um, in a lineage of mine owners in Africa. Um, but I think the thing that struck me about the film is that there's been this wave of people from Brooklyn. There's like a pipeline of people from Brooklyn to like the Catskills, right? Yeah. And in a way, I kind of thought like, oh, this is like this is kind of like a critique of also this, this like gentrifier culture in Brooklyn that then kind of goes upstate and is grappling with kind of like nature 100%. and 100%. I don't know if like, I totally oh, yeah, described I that like yeah. a, like a oh, that was seven amazing. year old, but <laughs> no, that was amazing. That yeah. was the, the, they have to, deal with themselves yeah 
They have to judge themselves, which I think a lot of the early pandemic was people having to look at themselves. Mm. And and did Matt or did the writers Matt and Sean? Does this come from like a personal? Place? Comes from yeah, it does. And and uh, Matt wrote a lovely piece that's in Talkhouse magazine mm. about about his. It's actually and it has a picture of his. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm assuming that he's maybe Catholic. Correct. Yeah, I was like, this is Job, but there was kind of like an Abraham. There was like a sacrifice. Uh, well, not exactly, but there was like an allusion to a sacrifice and. Um, but anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought you did a great job, especially there were some shots that um, that really stuck with me. One is after a certain moment, one of the characters is washing his hands in the water of blood and can't get the blood off. Um, and the, the tension that was build, built in that moment was particularly strong. Mm. Yeah, thank you. That means oh. a lot. <laughs> it does. But you've worked in filmmaking a lot. Um, So it's definitely a medium you're comfortable with. So as far as like the, your film work, um, where does that begin? Or, or yeah, where do you think you kind of like developed your voice with it? I mean, it definitely also kind of goes around different, you know, fiction, nonfiction, this, that, the other thing. But I think uh, The Mark of Cain was... I made Platypussy before that, uh, which, you know, making a rock mock duck, to be honest, is the same process as making a serious. <laughs> but I felt like the Mark of Cain was I had was much more where, I, you know, I feel um, like I wanted to tell a story that I told. Right, right. That I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do. Mm. Do you feel do you feel more comfortable um working through documentary? I think I like uh no, I don't. I feel like I I really like switching around. Mm. And I also like switching around with I like th- throwing theater in the switch around. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I feel like the live the you know the difference between working with live people and and being a lot of the time in the and an edit bay is very different and i feel mm-hmm. like the fiction versus non-fiction it just gives you an opportunity to kind of do really different things celebrate really different pro- parts mm-hmm. of the process yeah. i mean the documentary you have, you you're, you're really you're much less likely to have control of your environment you're not on a set you're not lighting things you're not like you know controlling what's going to be said and that's amazing because I think you finding the story you don't know what the story is in a documentary really Hmm. you you know what you might think you would find but you don't actually know what it is but and with something that's something else you're that's like written you're like I'm trying I need to tell this like how i need to affect it i need to make telling this story come across to the people right right. and yeah and you have existed in both worlds right like with your work in with deadwood right like as a writer 
Um, I can't talk about my writing, can I? I am straight. I am. I stand with the WGA. We are <laughs> right. okay. I'm not allowed to talk about my writing. Let's not cross a picket line. I don't want. And to. look, crossing the picket line for my podcast is not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> this is like the last thing you should be crossing a picket line for. Did you see what happened to Drew? That Drew, she like went was gonna like go back to work. Oh no. Well, there's no money involved in this podcast, so I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. Yes, I and also it's past work. It's not promoting a, a right, current. Right. Project. Yeah. I did. I was a writer on Deadwood. Yeah, all good. Well, Let's see. Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> I, I guess the 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 point I'm I'm kind of trying to make is that like I I think you like as a creative person, I think you function well in, in those, in both worlds where it is like you have, you have a task at hand to kind of like deliver or to tell a story. Um, and then I I think you also just really enjoy these processes where it's more, um, where it's sort of like, I don't, I don't want to say chaotic, but like where the, the work is kind of rooted in, that like act of becoming what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a good way to put it. I also think, you know, there's different, I really like, I enjoy um, collaborating and there's different ways in which you do that on different projects. Yeah. It's hard to be a good collaborator, I think. It is hard and you have to, you know, it is hard. <laughs> Some people be- are better. I like being the director. I like the collaboration as long as my as the final word is as mine. Long as you're the boss. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, so there's two other. So Mark of Cain. Um, I want. I definitely wanted to talk about that today, and the crime series interviews. Is Mark of Cain first? Well, so. Yeah, yes, ish. But like, for example, that's there's a um, interview with the guy at the morgue who was, mm-hmm. you know, sawing this corpse. There's there's some interviews the that don't, you don't yeah. see the whole you don't see in in the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought were valuable interviews and interesting, interesting. Yeah. and you see them in the crime. They show up in the crime book. Right. right. So I feel like you start to see stuff like that happen a lot in my work. So you have then you have other interviews that were originated for the crime book, but mm-hmm. then later you see them turned into an animated short. Right, that. With, the, with the animated crime series. For people who are not familiar with Mark of Cain, could you give a quick summary? About it's a, uh, a film about in the Russian prison system in what year did I make it? 99? Yeah, both the men's and women's prisons, both the lower and higher, highest security prisons. Yeah. And and then that also kind of then comes into play with your prison tattoos. Um, book. Well, the tattoos, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the um, actually original interest in the whole, prisons was this language that was disappearing of the visual language prison tattoos that had a, a hierarchical meaning and and needed to be adhered to to 
create order within the prison that yeah. was disappearing and I wanted to document a disappearing language. Yeah. So for in order for you to get access to to like a Russian prison at this time, what <laughs> what was that like? Uh, we did not have official access. That, um, so we went to prisons far outside of Moscow where there was more. A uh, little less protocol or. Interest, less protocol, more interest in having visitors, like kind of uh, some amount of boredom to some extent. <laughs> yeah, and, like, uh, who are these people? Kind of. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we spent a lot of time drinking vodka with prison wardens, going on boats yeah. with prison wardens, shooting That's guns with prison yeah. wardens. <laughs> the shooting guns with the prison wardens was definitely this way sketchier than any oh my God. time with prisoners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, had you been to Russia before? Uh, yes, I went. Well, I went to Russia uh, when, the, for, um, yes, I had been to Russia when I went. I showed the male pattern baldness in Moscow. Like, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was That's another really crazy great trip. Yeah. That was a nutty trip. And why the Russians were like, this is what we want to show. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> um, but then I went back. There was in 95, there was the first uh, tattoo convention in Moscow. And oh, so whoa. I felt like if there are criminologists who have documented these tattoos, they will go to this tattoo convention. Right, right. And they did. That's where I found Interesting. them. And, and so, mm -hmm. um, do you have any tattoos? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I have a tiger lily that I got when I was like seventeen, and I have crow <laughs> on my back, and that's about it. I have a like a little ring on one of my toes, but that was because when I was tattooing other people when I did that project. Yeah you're supposed to do your first tattoo on yourself. Okay, interesting. And I didn't really want a whole nother, so I just tattooed a ring on my toe. You didn't get a tattoo while you were in the Russian prisons? I chose not to. Okay. <laughs> I took a pass on yeah, that you one. You don't want to get... Sanitary issues with but that. But what was it like... Um, yeah, what was it like talking to the prisoners and... and um, e you know, even when it comes to talking to the tattoos, did you find, like... Tattoos was your um, was the thing that got you talking to them, and then they actually wanted to talk about other stuff. And it's definitely a great way to start because yeah. they are uh, they illustrate everything about not just their crimes, but their personalities and their placement, and you can tell a lot. And um, you know, and then and people want to talk to them, talk and be listened to, and yeah. these. Uh, that's not happening very often. Sure, <laughs> um, right. And then, like the tattoo artist, we we, we I really wanted to find a tattoo artist because th there's only like one or two per prison that do all of the tattooing, and um, I didn't think I would get that lucky because they are punished for that. Um, mm -hmm. But that tattoo artist was so proud of his work. <laughs> Like right, any art, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll probably spend some time in solitary, but I want, I want to do this, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was really happy to find him, but mostly I think it's just uh, people telling their stories, and that is a good entry point. But it's also the the work is beautiful. The tattoos—they're yeah. not like 
clunky, you know, they're kind of amazing. And, and they tell, and they were disappearing and they tell a whole story of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they tell the whole history of Russia. And he was like, yeah. he did, he was like, yeah. it's the history of Russia. He's like, there's Rasputin, the, you know. Oh my God. And, uh, but I th- yeah, so that was all really interesting to me. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that project too is that like your approach is very, comes from a very human place, you know, comes from a very uh, sincere interests. And I also think an empathetic one I think even the way, you know, the introduction of the crime book, even just like the way you kind of think about empathy and and um, like approaching people who have, you know, maybe had experiences with crime in a certain way, I found it quite moving, right? So like the way that you are sort of like approaching hearing these stories from a group of people that are definitely on the outskirts of society or you know, for whatever reason, need to be incarcerated. But then you're also able to produce something that I'm sure no one has, no one has done research on. Like if you are going to talk or write about Russian prison tattoos, like you're the expert in that, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of amazing too. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah, within art and the humanities there's a there's a specific way in which kind of like people think even about research like sometimes it takes going to eastern or you know outer russia and shooting guns with prison wardens sometimes it takes that (laughs) (laughs) at least one time it took that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah do you ever get questions from like from uh from researchers or anyone did you use the term criminologist before yes I did. yeah um do you do you ever get like actual inquiries about yeah lots of people and actually that's how uh damon murray that's how i met fuel um they published the crime book but they published uh, also russian a tattoo book the book yeah and um so the same people were contacting the two of us as you pointed out well yeah that's, that's <laughs> there was nowhere right. else yeah <laughs> so we just started talking to each other like, hey, did you hear from this person? Are they legit? <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of question. And yeah, and and then and then we made a whole book together. Yeah, we really so liked cool. each yeah. other's like sensibilities. And books is also like another area where you you've worked extensively in, and you currently work. With, is it Percival Press that you work with? How did you get linked up with them? Uh, that is. Uh, Vigo Mortensen's publishing press. And I known Vigo a long time. I did a short piece on him uh uh 25 years ago. Like a long time. <laughs> and it's also uh, as as an interesting interview in the crime book. And he's in the crime book. Yeah, so yeah, you start to see also people yeah. show up in different places yeah. <laughs> in different ways. <laughs> Joe Lawyer, Joe Lawyer wrote the introduction to that book. Mm-hmm. And he's in my crime book, and he also is one of the animated shorts. Yeah. And um, Percival makes beautiful, I mean, I know one other person who's published with them, uh, Dan Mills, and oh, like just an incredible, incredible publisher. Like that, you know, I was like, Vigo, really? Um, I was like to <laughs> eventually just like chat 
like just geek out on books with him because he seems to really have a good good yeah. sense in and a good eye for for books i mean that book is just beautiful too with like the way the images are kind of uh handled along with the text and everything yeah and i i think kind of like artist books is kind of a good medium for you as yeah well. and also it's so, you know yeah for, for a lot of the books that are these small press published aren't gonna have a chance to exist otherwise so that's mm -hmm. not nice. going back to the film conversation do you feel like your work exists in these kind of two places one is very much so has maybe mass appeal or is working in in a way that might feel more accessible to people like watching a horror film and then on the opposite side you know we have like bespoke artist books or print projects or you know performance art which even though is sort of innately accessible like people have to go to galleries to look at it or are kind of like consuming it through the art world. But um, yeah, do you have any feelings about kind of like incorporating that like mass industry element to your work as a creative person? I mean, I guess I, guess I, I feel like it's all, all of it is just telling stories. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, for me, the question is, what are, what are the like tools that I am given to tell this story? Mm. And that would include the level of budget, the breadth of audience. <laughs> like that would include like, is this a more mainstream thing? Yeah. Is this going to have, you know, which doesn't mean I necessarily work on it differently. It's just, I don't care about it differently necessarily. I just, right. it's just a different beast. But I think. Yeah. I guess I get, I also, yeah, I guess I get um, bored or something because I do like to have different experiences. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I'm not trying to do the exact same thing right after finishing something. Do you think that comes from like art school background and being maybe able to one semester be in like painting and then the next sem semester be like, oh, I'm going to be a sculptor now? I mean, I definitely from early on was doing interdisciplinary. I was never like, I'm just making this. So yeah, I have yeah. a video component and a sculpture component and painting. And drawing. Yeah, so yeah. that just feels normal to me. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of a surprise. Mm. People yeah. were like, well, what do you do? Right. <laughs> yeah, your elevator <laughs> said, pitch. Oh, I'm confusing weird. people. <laughs> But I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm confusing for sure, like existing between like publishing and curating. And, you know, it's like the stuff that makes us think the most is the, is also the most rewarding work. Um, but yeah, have you had um, pushback like in a commercial sense or or like with galleries? Like how has that been for you? In, I think I've had a hard I've never had I've never I've always I've struggled to have good representation because right. I don't think anybody knows what to do with me. Mm -hmm. It gets in my way when I want to do something that I feel certain I can do. And there's a lot of like, I don't actually know what kind of like, what do you do? Like, a, you right, know, right. have you ever done this before? You know, like, is this something sure. like, I thought you were a TV writer and now you're coming to me with it, you know, that yeah, watercolors from uh, 
yeah. yeah. So yeah, sometimes I, mean, I like I notice myself like only being like this. This is what I do <laughs> because I'm just <laughs> like that. I'll just something. talk about these two things, and that's yeah. what I've done. You know, that's interesting. Do you, so, do you feel like you are multiple people? There's multiple Alexes. No, I. I mean, I feel like what you were saying earlier. To me, it's like I don't think that the work is. I think it's very much connected and I yeah. don't it's very hard to see what the connections are yeah. but because it's different medium because I, you know, cast my boxing gloves in bronze and then made an animation. Like people get yeah. all beside themselves. Like they can't figure out what, what's going on. I think actually it's, it's not so much the crossing media as much as it's like the crossing industries. What question? You know, I think, I think we, uh, yeah, it's something I'm yeah, that's more accurate, a, a for sure. on these days because it's like there's a very similar creative process that goes into a performance piece because that kind of I, I feel like your work is kind of rooted in performance. But what is different is the way that the art world is regulated, the visual art world. And I mean regulation in the kind of broadest sense, like who are the players? How is it consumed? Who's chipping in the funds to make this thing operate so who's buying stuff there's a very different system there than working in a film studio which you know has a whole different um distribution strategy it hits a different audience it has different patrons and i think that might be the hardest thing for people to because and even just as a consumer you think about it differently you go into a gallery and you're like, you you turn art brain on and huh. and you go to watch something on your laptop at home and you kind of have like streaming brain on or something. <laughs> yes. <know. laughs> or streaming brain off. Yeah. <laughs> my streaming brain is always on. <laughs> um, it might be inaccurate, but that would be my perception as is what might be difficult, where the difficulty might come in in the visual art world. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I that makes sense to me. But yeah, I, I feel like there's a, a, that's where I feel like it hurts me to be, not, it doesn't hurt me to a point where I'm going to stop, but right. it, it makes things difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it uh, when it comes to sort of like sustaining, like just, yeah, a sustainable practice. Right? Although what's funny is like what I said earlier is I think part of it existing is because I couldn't, you know, I think if right, I if right. it had been like here, here's perfect, beautiful budgets for your films, I probably would have stayed within filmmaking more. Or right, if it was right. like, you know, so yeah, it's a kind of weird uh, chicken and egg thing that you said something before about oh that didn't really work out exactly, and now we're going to pivot to this. Like maybe it also is. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the process too. Like. Okay, going back to you went on the vomit comet, but you're definitely <laughs> not a specialist in in astrophysics, right? I am so, not. Or I don't even know if it would be astrophysics, physics, right? But <laughs> I think, but I think maybe your limitations there give you certain insights that make it interesting. Well, I mean, I do hope that I do think sometimes you see uh, uh, somebody come to a project with a better ability to tell the story because they know less about it. So like, I think, you know, uh, 
Ice Storm is an incredibly American film that Ang Lee directed incredibly beautifully. Mm. So I haven't seen that actually. But it's you know it's based on that a novel that's just so much about like American um, just those horrible marriage dysfunction. Oh, it's it's like pretty rough that movie. But my point is, I think sometimes like he he had he was able to do having eyes from a not from the inside, not from growing up in that right can bring fresh eyes to the project and yeah, you can observe in a different way. It's really it's not to I, I I don't I don't advocate like being completely ignorant and not like like I think you should right, be respectful sure. of I did read my Solzhenitsyn before going to the Russian prisons right, you know I think right. you need to like have some kind of um, especially if you're dealing well you're always dealing with uh, people but so I'm not like oh don't learn anything or don't but I think I think if you you can come to it. Um, I don't have a religious childhood, so I th- I'm just like, how am I telling this story? Yeah. Like, I'm not burdened by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 kind of personal weight of some of the content or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is going back to your saying about being a col- good collaborator, because I think that's what being a good collaborator is, is like, you don't really know exactly what's happening in that other person's brain, but you're kind of like, you know, you're still playing off that person and you're trying to complement it in the best way possible while adding your own your own spin to things. And yeah. for me, yeah, collaboration's always been great because I actually feel like I get to a place that's beyond my capability because someone else is putting yeah. and I actually really welcome that in a creative process. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I don't especially if I'm doing stuff where I'm constantly encountering things I don't know how to do or what I'm doing or or, or haven't learned about them or understood them, then um, I think it's really, I just love, like when I did the lithographic, you know, I have a master printer who does my litho prints and, and going to her studio and like working yeah. and seeing like that because she understands printmaking yeah. on a that I'm never going to understand printmaking because I'm not going to only do printmaking for the next, you know. Right. So that's that's also exciting to me when the other person, you know, has this enormous wealth of knowledge that I'm never going to fully. Yeah. Do you ever do residencies? I I used to. Now yeah. I I don't want to leave. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I still wait. Um, yeah, I used to do them. I used to, I like. There are, I feel like there's there's this new kind of like wave of residencies where they're kind of in unusual um, unusual places and also linked with unusual fields. Like, um, and I think it actually goes back to the, you know, the artist placement group in the UK was doing sort of like artist placements in kind of government positions, sort of municipal but I actually feel like that would be a great kind of realm for you to work in. Like what what does having an artist with artistic skills bring to um, a completely different uh, practice or industry or sector? I think a lot of the things, a lot of the um, nonfiction subject, like when you're, I I do think when you're talking about 
Russian prisons, or you're talking about something that's not a super fun romp in the daisies, you have to get your audience interested. And everybody told me when I was making, cutting that film, why are you focusing on tattoos? Like you have, you know, these unfinished buildings that haven't been, because there's no money, you know, I'm like, that's a shot of an unfinished building. This is a shot of a tattoo. People have their own, they come to that with a very different, much more personal mm. action to yeah. what showing them. Yeah. So, I, you know, I do think uh, having artists involved in telling some of the, you know, or the Russian, uh, the um, journalist, murdered journalists, you know, you have to, you have to tell the story. You have to communicate that. So the people who maybe maybe have the most statistical knowledge or factual knowledge about this subject, you still have to, if you want to compel people to change the situation, mm -hmm. you still have to communicate to them. Interesting. And I think artists serve in that way for a lot of, or storytellers of yeah. any kind. So Alex, what's coming up for you? But I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that is crossing the picket line. That's the scab stuff. I can't yeah. talk. <laughs> Can we talk about this the the film and its screenings? Yeah, I think so. Isn't that okay? I'm pretty sure that's fine. Also, I directed the film. I did not write it. Yeah, the Lower East Side Film Festival has already happened. So, the, um, you said Tacoma it was, is on. Let's see. Let's Tacoma. Find. Tacoma's coming up. Um, Where is Tacoma again? Am I an idiot? West Coast, uh, Tacoma, Washington, Washington. Okay. So for anyone listening on the West Coast, go to the Tacoma Film Festival. I'm going to tell you exactly when. Say what's up to Licks Lamb when you're there. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I think we have other. I want to say, yes, the 6th, October 6th at okay, 9. Okay, so that's coming up. Excellent. Well, I hope that goes really well. And I'm always looking forward to new stuff that you're working on. What about you? Can you, you're, are you allowed to talk about? It? Well, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not even part of any unions, but um, um, I think, well, hopefully the, I'll be doing some interviews in November, um, maybe in Manchester for a book fair. Um but yeah, I'm just kind of, just kind of existing, painting. I'm painting now. That's kind of I. That's literally one thing I've never done. Painting. Uh, yeah. Um, like really tiny, small ones. I, I've got like one right here, kind of like a little basketball court painting because it's like into the paint. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to do like a couple of these per week. But um, yeah, next time I'm in the states. Um, it would be cool yeah, to, do, to, yeah, cool to awesome. do a visit. That was Alex Lambert, a little Licks Lamb action. Wish I could have gotten this out before all of the film festival screenings of last year, but you are in luck because The Woods Are Real is coming to all major streaming platforms on March 12th of this year, so you can go and check out that film for yourself very soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, remember to share it with your networks. It's available wherever you find your podcasts. And give us a little follow on Instagram at IntoThePaints underscore podcast. 
we have some great episodes coming up, so remember to like, subscribe, all that bullshit.